Well, we are glad you're here today at the 10 o'clock service. We are in Philippians chapter number two, verses one and following, if you wanna follow along in your scripture today. We're in a sermon series entitled Happy Thief, a study through the book of Philippians where we are discussing the 10 villains that are there in life that steal and capture your joy, take away your happiness. As a Christian, you have to understand you're a child of God, which means as a child of God, you have an inheritance, and part of that inheritance is joy, daily joy in the midst of life. The problem is there is a thief out there attempting to steal your joy at every moment. Ten specific villains we've been looking at, and today, the third sermon in the series from the book of Philippians, we call this sermon the unity wrecker. The unity wrecker is the third villain who attempts to rob you of joy by creating conflict. I'm gonna ask the question, how does this villain steal our joy? You say creating conflict. How does this villain steal our joy? Creating conflict, you did good. Philippians chapter number two, verses one through 11. We're gonna jump into that in just a moment. Before you do, I have a confession to make. The confession has to do with... My favorite candy bar. What's your favorite candy bar? Anybody, what's your favorite? Yeah, what's your favorite candy bar? Snickers. Snickers satisfies. I know this because the commercials tell me it does. Somebody else, what's your favorite candy bar? Raise your hand, tell me, what is it? Yes. Peanut butter cups. Ladies and gentlemen, she said peanut butter cups. Give her a round of applause. This woman got the answer right. That is like four of you, and you're very passionate about it. You too, sir? You too, Len? peanut butter cup. Anybody else got another favorite? Another favorite? Yeah, what is it? Kit Kat. Kit Kat. That's right, man. Break me off a piece of that something. Um, <laughs> what? What is yours? Almond Joy. Almond Joy, because sometimes you feel like a nut. <laughs> is this awkward for you? Okay. Okay. I like peanut butter cups too. In fact, I like them so much um, that I, 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 this is the confession. I, sometimes I steal them. I was, um, I was in a church meeting uh, with all the other pastors of the church and my wife and uh, our executive assistant was sitting there, Melanie, Melanie. She's the one that helps schedule all of our lives. And, and uh, Melanie and Heather were sitting there and they had peanut butter cups and they were in the midst of a conversation, whatever it might be, and as they were there, they were eating peanut butter cups, but they weren't normal peanut butter cups. They were gluten-free peanut butter cups, which normally would mean nothing to me because I like my food with extra gluten. Gluten on the side, I like the gluten, but they do the gluten-free, and so I, but I wanted to try them just to see how bad they were. And I went to grab three of them, and I took three of them, and I popped one. They're not bad. They're good. They were actually really good. And I took the other one. I put it on the, on the table for later, and I took the other one to save because I like to save candy. And my family doesn't like me to do that. They steal it from me. And how many of you agree it's wrong to steal what was already been stolen? Is that true? <laughs> and, and I took that, and I put it in my leather, my leather bag that carries my computer and all my stuff. I put it in there for later, and I zipped it up, and I forgot that I put it in there. And so what happened next is it, it's a disaster. That I, it, well, clearly, I was outside the next day having some meetings at a coffee shop, and the sun was beating on the bag. And as it beat on the leather bag, 
um, I, unbeknownst to me, it began to do what chocolate does in Las Vegas. It melted. It melted in my bag, throughout my bag, and I did not know it for days later because days later when I reached into, I have this pocket in my bag, you see, and inside this pocket has my earbuds, and inside this packet pocket has my keys, and inside this packet has, has like seven different masks. You know what I mean? You got the different masks. All my variety of masks are in there, so I throw one on, and, and inside there's all sorts of stuff, and I reached inside to grab a pen to take a note, and I was meeting with somebody at Starbucks, and I reached inside, and I, and I immediately felt something wasn't right. And I looked down, and there was the beautiful, sweet-smelling aroma of melted chocolate and peanut butter, and I had to resist the temptation to lick my fingers in front of the people in front of me. I didn't. I, 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 I just wiped, because I, I don't know why I didn't just say, I just put chocolate, I'll tell it on Sunday. And I, instead, I just wiped my hand like this, and I went back, and I just kind of zipped it up, and I said, I'll clean it up later. Four days later, <laughs> I completely forgot, and everything's mixed in there, and it's getting worse, and it smells awesome. By the time I got around to cleaning it, it was more of a chore than I wanted to, so I had my daughter... No, that's not true. I, didn't, I, I did it myself. Why? Because ultimately, that which was not supposed to be in that place was in that place. And because I did not deal with it in a timely fashion, it got worse than I ever expected it to get. This is what possibly happens in a lot of people's relationships, it happens in a lot of people's homes. It might even be happening at your workplace. It might happen in your small group. It might be happening in a church right now. And that is what belongs not in these places is conflict. See, the third villain attempts to suck joy out of your life by tapping conflict into your life. He's called the unity wrecker. And I want to point it out and remind you to clean it up before it gets even messier than it already is. If you're ready to hear from God's word today, would you give me an amen? amen. Happiness is found when you seek unity. Happiness is found when you seek unity. Say this with me. Happiness is found when you seek unity. Say it again. Happiness is found when you seek unity. You say, Pastor, don't you mean I'm happy when I finally arrive at unity? No. Happiness is not found when you arrive at unity. I'll be so much happier, Pastor, when our family doesn't have conflict. No, 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 you can actually have happiness now because happiness is not found when you arrive at unity. Happiness is found when you start seeking unity. Don't you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is the, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He doesn't say that we are the ones who have to keep the peace that we already have. He's saying we are those who are seeking after peace. And why does he say we are like the children of God? Here's why. Because God himself is a peace seeker. He's the one who sought peace between you and him. He's the one, Jesus Christ, who came down to reach down to mankind who was at war with God and bring mankind back to God and God the Father back to mankind. He is a peace seeker maker. 
And so the scripture tells us that blessed are the peacemakers. And we're going to see in today's sermon, I can't wait to get to that point, is that we can actually have peace and joy and happiness when we seek after peace in our own lives. I want you to be a peacemaker, a keeper today, a peacemaker today. I want you to seek after peace. The question is, how are you seeking unity? That's what we're gonna be looking at in three different parts. The first part that we wanna see is actually found in chapter one, and that is, you must and I must, we must reject disunity. Say this with me, reject disunity. Why reject? Don't you mean fight for unity, pastor? No, 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 you don't have to fight for what is already yours. Here's what you need to do. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your relationship. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your family. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your workplace. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your church. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your small group. You need to reject disunity when it comes into your community or your, your nation. Why? Because unity is not something we achieve. Unity is something that you've already been given by God. You and I, as human beings, were at war with God. Now, I may not be speaking for everybody in the room. Really, I'm only talking to those who are human beings. Any homo sapiens here today? Any uh, human beings? If you are, raise your hand. All right. Any escapees from Area 51 here today? Anybody? Okay. Okay, because there'd be all one. That's really awkward for all of us. Um, (laughs) All of the rest of us as human beings, the Bible says that mankind sinned against God. And in doing so, we declared war on him. There are a lot of human beings that today, men and women, who don't feel like they're right with God. They feel like there's something wrong between them and their creator. And they're right. It's not that God is at war with you. It's that you and your sin have declared war on God. But God had a plan for this. Because God loves you, he didn't want you to stay at war with him. So he sent a peace treaty. You say, what peace treaty did God send? He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man, and he died on the cross for mankind. He reached out to mankind, who was at war with God, reached out to God the Father, and he brings them together as our great high priest. So in doing so, you have been given the gift of peace with God. But you are not only at peace with God, you need to understand if you are at peace with God, you should also be at peace with yourself. You should be at peace with your neighbor. You should be at peace with every man and woman that comes along your life. The Bible here teaches us that we have been given Unity, God is not angry with you, God has given you unity. And with all of that being stated, Philippians chapter one and verse 27 becomes so much more understandable. Verse 27 says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When you arrive at the end of chapter one, the apostle Paul is trying to tell the church at Philippi, You guys are all disunified. And that was one of the big problems with the church that he was writing to. The church had been fighting about all sorts of issues. I don't know about you, I've been in churches before where the church was struggling with disunity. 
I don't know what your history is, but I've been part of churches where the church was fighting with itself, and it's a very bad situation to be in. I'm thankful that Southern Hills is not in that scenario and not in that situation, but it does happen, and this is what was happening in Philippi. So the Apostle Paul contacts them, and he says, what you need to do is you need to stand fast. He doesn't say capture one mind. He doesn't say capture one spirit. He says stand strong in the one mind and the one spirit that you already have been given, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That means you are moving forward to reject disunity in your church or in your home or in your workplace or in your community. I will not allow the enemy to trick me into disunity. Let's say that together. I will not allow the enemy to trick me into disunity. Let's say it again, say it again. I will not allow the enemy to trick me into disunity. We talked about it a few weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. We said you have an enemy, he's like a roaring lion, it's the devil. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And you don't fight against other people, you fight against the devil and his demons. And so what often happens is he attempts to make you fight one another by causing disunity, by causing conflict, by planting these problems in your life. And what you and I have to decide is that you will not allow this disunity to come in. You gotta reject it every time. Say reject it every time. Say it with me. Reject it every time. You gotta be militant about this thing. I have to be militant about some things. I, I struggle with an addiction to sugar. I've already confessed about my peanut butter cup love of peanut butter cups to the point that it's brought me thievery. I've thieved, I've thieved for peanut butter cups. And sugar, is a, it's, a, it's an issue, it can be a problem for me, it can be a problem for others, and I'm a functioning addict. See, you can see me right now. I'm not eating anything right now, but I'm thinking about it. This is why I can't stop talking about it. I'm thinking about it, some of you are, th- how many of you are with me, Pastor? Uh, sugar is an issue. See, here's the problem. I have a problem with sugar, but some of you are just pushers. That's the problem. No, but it's true. You bring me cookies, you bring me donuts, you bring them by, and Melanie will call the pastors. They'll be like, hey, somebody brought donuts to the front, and I don't know what you're trying to do to me. I have no idea why you're trying to sabotage my great efforts to look as good as I do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to keep it, keep it, uh, keep it together here, but man, it's tough. In fact, just the other day, while we were out on Friday, I was talking with people on Fridays with the pastor, having some coffee, and one of the people brought a bag of Reese's cups. I don't know why, because I always talk about them. And they sat them there. And I, I just, you know, casually began to eat one, and then two, and three. And I thought, they're Sabbath, they're pushers. And then Fred Murray shows up. How many of you know Pastor Fred? He saved me. He came in, picked up the bag, and he started eating all of them, which... <laughs> A little mixed emotion with that, honestly. You know what I mean? Thank you for saving me. Also, I hate you because that's mine. That's my chocolate uh, right there. And this pushing stuff, it needs to stop. And I'm asking you, stop it. Please stop bringing it into my life. I remember it was a couple years ago, maybe a year, I don't know how long ago, but I was in this over room over here and there was a special meeting that was going on and somebody brought into this special meeting homemade, beautifully done homemade cupcakes, They were beautiful. They're the kind of cupcakes that not only look good, but you can Instagram them. You know what I'm talking about? They looked amazing. And they're like, oh, I have a cupcake. And I came in, I'm like, oh, I'm all good. And I went over, did my stuff. Then I came back and she's like, no, have a cupcake. 
now. And I said, well, I'm trying to, you know, watch. I'm not going to thank so much. Thank you, though. Thank you. You know, you tried to be gracious. And she looked at me. She said, Pastor, I made these myself. And I made them specifically for you as well. Are you not going to taste the cupcake? I'm like, that's not fair. You know what I mean? Because I'm a pastor. I'm not allowed to be rude. But I want to say, no, I don't want your cupcake. But also I do. You know what I mean? There's both. And so I said, this is what I did. I lied. I, this, I, I steal and I lie. So if you're looking for a church, here's a bad pastor. Okay. <laughs> I lied. I said, okay, you got me. Okay, I want that. Thank you so much. And I took the cupcake and I smelled it. And I got to tell you, it smelled the way heaven will smell like. <laughs> I smelled it. I'm like, oh, it's so good. I said, it smells amazing. She said, well, enjoy it. I said, I, I'm going to love it. I will. I'm going to love this. But I've got to go grab some stuff out of the other room. And I walked out of the, the room. And as I walked around the other room, I looked around. There was a trash can. I told you I'm a bad person. I don't be surprised, you know. And as I walked by, I looked around. And I, and I, I just tossed it in the trash can. And, and I just threw it in there. And as I did, I heard, ah, and I turned around. She was standing right there. <laughs> And I said, I slipped. I don't know what happened. No, I, I didn't say, what do you say? You say, Pastor, you must be ashamed of yourself. In the moment, I was embarrassed, but I was so proud of myself. You know why? Because I said no to something that I knew I did not want in my life at that moment. Now, look at me. Look at me. No matter, no matter who it offends. Now, look at me. You have to be that diligent when it comes to protecting yourself from disunity. You have to reject it when it comes. It's not easy. You know why? Because you're just minding your own business, scrolling, aren't you? And all of a sudden, a, pof a possibility for disunity arises. And you look at that post and you're like, I've got a lot of things to say about that. And you're ready to go, aren't you? Like I am. You've got to reject the possibility of disunity. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? You say, Pastor, you don't understand. When I post something, I change thousands of minds. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you think you do. Friend, you've got to reject disunity at every turn. When your husband says something to you that is Deeply hurtful. I'm not saying you don't talk it out. What I am saying is that you need to reject the disunity in that moment. When your kids are making a mess around the table and you're thinking, I'm just done, and you're about to let disunity infiltrate the home and in doing so, suck the joy right out of your life, you gotta stop it. You gotta reject it. When you're sitting around work thinking to yourself how much greater you are than the rest of the people at work, you've got to stop and realize, I've got to reject disunity. I've got to nip it right here. I'm telling you, we live in a world where every single week there is a new opportunity to get angry about something. It, I don't know who does it. There's like, I think there's a, there must be a room somewhere where people sit around and they've got horns and, and, uh, on their heads and they're like, this week, we're gonna make everybody choose whether or not they like Columbus or they like Native Americans. That's what this week, and the next week it'll be something else. And, and all of us, they're like, you gotta choose. And you're like, I like them both. Is it okay to like, can I like them both? Nope, you're not allowed to like both. 
Ah, pick a side. This is the society we live in. And what I'm telling you is as a Christian, you don't have to play their squid game. You understand? You don't have to get involved with their drama. Amen? Do you understand how we as Christians are supposed to have joy and express joy in a world that is filled with sorrow? The first way we do it is at every single turn, we must reject disunity. Say reject disunity. (laughs) Number two, don't overestimate your value. Let's say this one together. Don't overestimate your value. Say it one more time. Don't overestimate your value. Look at what Paul goes on to say to the Philippians in Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, fulfill my joy. Paul was their preacher like I am yours. And he says, make me happier here. (laughs) Help me out. Fulfill my joy. Make my joy overflowing. How can we help you, Paul, with your joy that is overflowing? And remember, it wasn't just Paul writing to this to the Philippians. It was the Holy Spirit of God writing this to all Christians. So in a sense, Holy Spirit of God is saying to all Christians, fulfill my joy. Bring me happiness here. How can we bring you happiness, Holy Spirit of God? By being like-minded. Having the same love Being of one accord with one mind. Say, what mind do we need to have? He's gonna tell us in the next point. But then he says in verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. The things that you do in life should not be done for your selfish ambition or for your own good and your own glory. You say, what things? All things. The things done in church should not be for your selfish ambition and conceit. The things done in your small group should not be for yourself. The things done at home should not be about what you get out of it. The things done at work should not be about what you get out of it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but still do those things in lowliness of mind, that is, with humility, let each person esteem the others better than themselves." It means this, it means you have to think about how important other people are above how important you are. That's not easy. It means don't overestimate your own value in the home. Don't overestimate your own value in the workplace. Don't overestimate your own value in the church or the community or the nation. Listen, listen, stop overestimating your own value. It's, it's kind of a, an embarrassing thing to overestimate the value of something, isn't it? You ever do garage sales? How many garage sale people? Anybody? Gra- Growing up, we did a lot of yard sales and garage sales. Raise your hand. Be proud of it. I know I, I did some. Okay, some of you did. All right, very good. Yeah. I remember, when I was a kid, my mother's like, we, we did one every single spring. We brought all our junk out to the yard and labeled it. We had the little green stickers and we put the numbers on it. And, uh, and, and my mother, we, she, says, well, I said, what do you, she said, what do you sell? And she said, just take all the stuff you don't want. And I said, but if I don't want it, why do they want it? And the answer is, this is how it works. People like your trash, you like other people's trash, just get it out there. And so we did, we lay it all out there, we put the little stickers on it, and I'll never forget, I, I put out one time um, something that I, I, I wish I had to this day. My mother warned me, she said, how much are you gonna put on that label? I said, well, I'm gonna put $10. She said, $10? She said, Josh, 
a dollar at most, 50 cents probably. I said, but it's a, a first edition Jurassic Park VHS tape. I said, there's, you know, this, is, this, was, this was a lot to me. She said, do you have the DVD? Yes, I have the DVD. She said, well, then get rid of it, sell it for 50 cents, a dollar. I said, but it's worth like a lot. And she said, it's worth nothing. It's junk. How many of you have some stuff at home? Honestly, you know it's junk, but it's worth a lot to you. You know what I'm talking about? And I had this thing and, and she's like, you need to sell the Jurassic Park. And I'm like, but I was thinking not about the fact that it was a piece of plastic that nobody would ever use again. I was thinking about the joy of the moment the first time I saw the Brachiosaurus rise up on its hunches and grab a hold of that top tree and eat it and the music swelled. I, this was what I was thinking about. I'm like, it's worth at least $10. And so that stupid tape sat there all day long while everybody else bought my sister's My Little Pony tapes and nobody bought Jurassic Park. And I guarantee you, my friend, Jurassic Park is far more better than any kind of My Little Pony ever was. Thank you for one amen. <laughs> this brother understands the problem with My Little Pony. <laughs> Did you ever sell it? No. It got put in a box. And then years later when I was going to college and I had to clean out my room, what happened? I threw it away. That's what happens whenever you overestimate the value of something. The problem is when you overestimate the value of yourself, you naturally begin underestimating the value of others. You begin to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He says, you all need to wake up and we need to wake up and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think lowly and only think of ourselves in the terms of how God has saved us by faith and has gifted us to serve him. This is the way we serve God. This is how we are to view ourselves. Practically, what does this look like? Sometimes we over under, overestimate our value by thinking thoughts like, well, I mean, I'm really the one who brings home the most money in this family anyway. Does she even understand the value I bring to this home? I don't think she does. I don't think she does. Would you say that out loud? Only in the first year of marriage. <laughs> then never again. Never again. You think thoughts to yourself like, you know what? You would probably never spend time with those kids if it weren't for me. And so our home is what our home is because of what I do in our home. And you know what happens? The reason there's no joy in the home is because you have overestimated your value and in doing so, underestimated the value of those around you. You know what work? They are, they're pretty they're pretty lucky to have me there. You know what I mean? I mean, they are extremely lucky that I have graced them with my presence because I guarantee you this business would go down if it were not for my glorious appearing every single day. You ever work with somebody like this? Have you ever been somebody like this? We overinflate our own perspective of what we bring to the table and we begin to constantly think, I think I'm the only one who brings anything. To Nobody's pulling their weight around here except for me. And this is the problem. This is the problem with being good at your job, if you're honest. Anybody here good at your job? I mean, be honest. How many of you are good at your job like I am? Because I am excellent at my job. How many of you know what I'm... I'll say that again. 
I'm a preacher and I'm good at my job. Can I get an amen? amen. This is called seeking validation from your audience. <laughs> and this is what I do every single week, right? I'm good at my job. I'm okay with that. You know the problem with being good at your job? And I'm being as transparent as I can. When you're good at your job, you begin to wonder if other people are as good at their job as you are at yours. You know what happens to me on Sundays? I'll tell you what happens to me on Sundays. I'll have guys like Mark come by after the sermon and they'll say, Pastor Josh, man, that was a great sermon, man. That was incredible. My goodness, that was awesome. And I'm not taking into account that that's his spiritual gift of encouragement, not the fact that I'm the king. I'll have some grandmother, you know, walk by and they'll be like, Pastor, I've been in church since I was six days old. I've never met a pastor like you. You're the greatest gift of God to this planet in 400 years. Amen. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I know, I know I am, I know. I truly, I'm, the people, you gotta tell, we're gonna get you a testimony video to tell the whole church exactly what you, because we all need to be aware, but I think they already are. After the first service, somebody came by and said, that was the most mediocre sermon I've ever heard you preach. I'm like, thank you, bringing me right down where I need to be, right? So this is what happens to me. And then I'm telling you genuinely, if I'm not careful to humble myself before God, this is what happens. I begin to overestimate my value and underestimate the value of my team. And the devil starts playing tricks in my mind. Like the lead singer of a band who doesn't need the rest of them anymore. It happens to me and it happens to you. And so what happens to me is that I'll start writing a sermon like this, and I'll say, well, that might be true of others, but not of me, and then I'll show up to a meeting like I did on Thursday where all the pastors are all there, and they're all talking about this program called Kids Fest that's coming up on October 31st, and, and, and I'm like, so what's going on with this? And they're like, ah, oh, 2,500 people are going to be here, hundreds and hundreds of people who don't know Jesus, and we're gonna, this is how we're going to tell them about Jesus, and this is how we're going to bring them into the church, and this is how we're going to make sure that their children hear about Jesus, and then we got food, and we've got games, and I said, well, we're going to need volunteers. Oh, yeah, we got 150 volunteers signing up for this, and I'm sitting back, and I'm like, What? And suddenly God reminds me, yeah, how about you just do your little thing and we'll have everybody else do their thing. Remember the sermon? He's the chess master, I'm just one of the pawns. Amen. And if you're not careful, the same thing that happens to me can happen to you in your home, in your workplace, in your community, <laughs> I'm telling you, in your relationship, in your country, I got to tell you, Pastor Josh, if, if the rest of the country just thought exactly the way I did about everything, this world would be way better. I wish everybody thought about everything exactly the way I think about everything because I am exactly the perfect person to think about everything that thinks about thoughts. How many of you know the band Casting Crowns? Anybody know Casting Crowns? They have a great song. It's kind of a deep cut in the tracks called, uh, called City on a Hill. Anybody know the song? Beautiful poetry, let me read it to you. Absolutely, don't, don't get lost in the poetry. Listen to what it says. Did you hear of the city on the hill, said one old man to the other? It once shined bright, and it would still be shining still. 
but they all started turning on each other. You see, the poets thought the dancers were shallow, and the soldiers thought the poets were weak, and the elders saw the young ones as foolish, and the rich never heard the poor men speak. But one by one, they ran away with their made-up minds to leave it all behind, and the light began to fade in that city on a hill, that city on a hill. Each one thought that they knew better, but they were different by design. Instead of standing strong together, they let their differences divide. But it was the rhythm of the dancers that gave the poets life. It was the spirit of the poets that gave the soldiers strength to fight. It was the fire of the young ones. It was the wisdom of the old. It was the story of the poor man that needed to be told. Yet one by one, they ran away with their made-up minds to leave it all behind, and the light began to fade in that city on a hill. That city on a hill. How do I seek unity, pastor? First, you need to reject disunity. Treat it like the plague. Number two, don't overestimate your value. Value others more than you value yourself. And number three, humbly ask this question, how can I serve them today? Say that with me, how can I serve them today? Say that with me, how can I serve them today? So all of this is leading to an explanation about Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul does to the Philippians. He ends this part of Philippians by saying this, you need to be unified, striving together, loving one another, being all of one mind. And then the question is, what kind of mind do we have? And he says, the mind of Jesus. Look what it says in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, we need to open up your head, remove your brain, and put the brain of Jesus. <laughs> How many of you would like to look, uh, excuse me, act and live and think more like Jesus? If that's true for you, would you say amen? amen? Wouldn't you like to live and be more like Jesus? Okay, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. There's, Jesus is the very son of God. Is it okay for Jesus to act like God, yes or no? Okay, some of you aren't sure. The answer is yes. Is it okay for Jesus to act like God? Say yes. Is it okay for Jesus to act like God, yes or no? Yes. Yes is completely appropriate, but he didn't. He didn't make everybody come and worship him and bow down, and, and, and that's not what he did. Instead, he was the one who made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, he being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ humbles himself all the way to the point where he dies for our sins. Now, all of that to be said this, how did Jesus Christ pursue unity? He did so by humbly asking, what can I do to help others? How can I serve? Let me ask you this question about Jesus. And I'm gonna put it out there and I want you to think about it. Don't answer it right away. Think about it and then answer whenever I ask it the second time. 
Do you think Jesus, when he was here on earth, was a joyful person or a dour person? Do you think he was a joyful person? If you think he was a joyful person, say yes. Do you think he was a joyful person? Yes. Yes, I think he was a joyful person. But my question to you is, how could he be joyful? How could Jesus be joyful? I mean, do you see the world he was in? The Romans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles persecuted the Jews, and the, the Jewish people fought against the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jewish people. There was all sorts of disunity. How could Jesus have joy in the midst of disunity? Here's how. Because joy is not found when unity is found. Joy is found when you begin to seek unity. Pastor Josh, I mean, were all the disciples constantly unified? Were all the people that followed Jesus constantly best friends and they never had a problem? Was Jesus' home life constantly unified? Did the people around him always love him and say the right things? No. The answer is no. Then how did he remain joyful and pursued the joy that was set before him? How did he do this? The answer is joy is not found in arriving at unity. Joy is found in pursuing and seeking unity which means you can be a sole individual in your relationship, the only person in your home, the only person in your workplace, you could be the only person in your church, you can be the only person in the country who is seeking unity, therefore, the only person filled with joy. And the result of this is not only your joy. (laughs) You're gonna see verses nine through 11, the result is unity. Look look, look what it says in verses nine through 11 as we close. It says, therefore God, after Jesus Christ died upon the cross, what did God do? God the Father highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A lot of times Christians will use this passage like a baseball bat to go after an atheist. One of these days your tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to say if we are striving together in one mind of humility, just like Jesus did, the result of doing all of these humble things to fight for unity is that Jesus Christ will eventually unify the whole world under his kingdom. His pursuit of unity is given to him when all men and women throughout the world will one day bow before him in faith. Friend, friend, I'm telling you the reason why some of us are so lacking joy in our personal lives. Could it be the fact that there is conflict planted there by a villain who is trying to steal your joy? See, what do I do with that conflict? Very simple, very simple. Reject disunity every time you see it. Don't overestimate your value. Overestimate the value of others. And every time you have a chance, ask, how can I serve them? How can I help them? Some of us, some of us, have a melting peanut butter cup somewhere in a leather bag. And the sermon has reminded you about it. And you're thinking to yourself, I think I need to go clean up that mess. Yes. Before it gets messier, 
before you stick your fingers in there and make a bigger mess. Go forward and help bring unity. Can I get an amen? amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your truth of your word. You know, Lord, to do this is not always easy. Oh, we know you know this because you are the great peacemaker. And we pray that we would simply follow your path, your footsteps, with our children, with our parents, with our family, with our friends, with our church, with our small group, perhaps even with our previous church, with those around us, with our workplace, with our boss, with our employees, with our community, in our nation. I do pray that this world would see an example of peacemakers <laughs> if we truly are followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the goodness today. Help us to return to a place of joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.